A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. It's never an easy call with so many problems in the world to know where to direct the money that you donate when you want to help out in this world. But what I can tell you is that when you donate to CAMH, you're saving lives. We know about the opioid crisis. We know about the mental health crisis. They are doing the work. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help us treat addiction and build hope. Okay, this is the last one. This is the, the final crowdfunding message of our annual crowdfunding campaign. And to be honest with you, I have used up all of my best material, all of all of my material. I have nothing left in terms of reasons why I think we deserve your support in terms of what we'll do with your support, what we'll give you for your support. And um, I'm not sure where to leave this. We, we did great. I mean, over a thousand people, over a thousand of you signed up this crowdfunding campaign to become new supporters of Canada Land. And a lot of people who aren't hearing this because they get our ad-free feed because uh, they're already supporters, they increase their support. And we reached our first goal and our staff, it's a wonderful thing before the holidays. Everyone's getting a raise here, except for me. And uh, we'll have more resources and supports for them. But we're well short of our next goal, which is to do a second season of Thunder Bay. Doesn't look like we're going to hit that. A sequel of Thunder Bay, both in Thunder Bay as an epilogue and a whole new season about Niagara Falls, Ontario. I guess maybe I'll use this time to tell you what the plan is when we fall short. We are really committed to that project and are more committed because since announcing it, so much information has come our way about stuff that we want to look into in Niagara Falls and sources and people who want to talk with us and documents. And my inclination is like, just we got to do it somehow, some way, just jump in. And I'm trying to balance that with something else I've learned in the last few years, which is don't go in uh, half cocked and don't go in half resourced and make sure that people get paid for their work. So I don't want to take on an investigation like that without the proper funding. Maybe we'll get there. Like we're going to leave that up as a goal so we won't be uh, hectoring you every episode uh, for money for that goal, but we'll still be driving towards it. And, you know, previous years would indicate that we lose funding each month. If you have been listening to this, hoping that we would get there without your help, 
or waiting to see if your help was necessary for us to get to that goal. Let me tell you, this is the time. We need every bit of help we can get. And maybe there'll be some other way that we will get the funding necessary. We'll try to make it up through advertising or something else. That's it. That's all. If you've been holding back, help us out now. And if not, if you're not going to support us for whatever reason, please keep listening to our work and sharing it and telling us about it. You are valued. You are part of this. You are what everybody else is paying for is for you to listen to our stuff. And thank you. One last time, we're at patreon.com slash CanadaLand. Steve Faggy, copy editor at the Montreal Gazette, media blogger par excellence, joining me from Montreal. Bienvenue. <laughs> Hello, Jesse. It's good to have you back. Steve, today we're going to talk about Warren Kinsella's feelings. He apparently has some. Do we have to? Yeah. Uh, we do. We have to. And apparently he, he has feelings, even as he is caught encouraging his team of political operatives to let their hatred wash over them as a purifying force. We will also talk about the CBC's proposal to do a whole lot less for the same amount of money. Welcome back. Thank you. This episode of Canada Land Shortcuts is brought to everybody by Brian A. Clark, Andrew Clark, Phil Gushalak, Sarah O'Neill, Zachary A. Carson, Cynthia Koo, Alyssa Diamond, and Murray McDonald. Hi, my name is Murray McDonald. I'm a musician teacher in Enderby, British Columbia. I support Canada Land because it allows journalists to speak freely about their craft. Canada Land pulls back the curtain, allowing us a glimpse into how the media and Canadian culture are connected. Stephen? Yes? I now bring you a sordid tale from the sweaty armpit of Canada's polycom media underworld. Can an underworld have a sweaty armpit? I think it can. I'm going to stick with that. I mean, it presumably would. I mean, just logically. Yeah. Uh, listeners of this program can be forgiven if they've already forgotten the late game revelation in the last federal election, courtesy of the Globe and Mail, that the self-described political prince of darkness... Warren Kinsella. It's a very grandiose uh, self-description. He's he's a hatchet guy. He's a political operative. He does crisis communications and he'll go attack your political enemies for you secretly. He was secretly hired by, it seems, the Andrew Shears conservative campaign for something that he liked to call Project Cactus, which was basically just a mudslinging effort, a hatchet job campaign against Maxime Bernier and his People's Party of Canada, the objective of which was to seek and destroy Bernier, to paint Bernier and his candidates as racists, using, uh, among other tactics, fake Twitter account. Um, Steve, like, do you have to operate under cloak of darkness and secrecy and use sneaky tricks to paint Bernier and his candidates and his policies as racist? I mean, like, that's entirely possible to do right out in the open. I don't think, I think that the conservatives were getting a, a whatever he was charging them. It seems like it was too much. I mean, oh, my, this gives me a headache. Like, you know how I know that all these conspiracy theories people come up with are bogus? Because the political forces that supposedly run all of these massive conspiracies are also the same political forces that keep giving Warren Kinsella work. It is, like, I just don't understand how what this story is like 
I've read the story and nothing in there suggests that he did anything even remotely illegal. Mudslinging is bad. It's definitely something you don't want to like, you know, rub off on you. But it's not suggested that he he violated any election laws or that he committed any fraud, at least that I know. What seems to be getting everyone is that he's hiding the fact that he was apparently and pretty obviously hired by the the, the conservative party to do this. We know this because the CBC put out a, a recording of him talking to his staff and talking about uh, Hamish and and Walsh, who are the names of, you know, the campaign manager and the party president. So, like, it, like if you're going to do something nefarious, are you actually going to have your your campaign manager and party president, like the, mo- the most senior guys in your in your campaign, personally involved in this? I, I just the incompetency all around just just boggles the mind. Steve, but yeah, so he did this, and now he's now he's you know hiding from it, and and that's where we're at. Steve, the incompetence is the story. Are you of the, this is a big nothing burger, what's the story camp? The, the, the fiasco of this, the carnival of this, the Bush League amateurishness of this is part of what is so delicious about this story. But I will absolutely fight you on, is there anything to see here? Yeah, hell yeah. If somebody is getting paid by a guy who wants to be prime minister to trick the Canadian public, I mean, that's what this was. It, they used deception here. It wasn't Warren Kinsella getting paid to uh, himself take a stage and say, uh, hey, I'm here on behalf of the conservatives and I want you to know that Bernie is a racist. He did that. He didn't say that he was paid by the conservatives, but he used his column in the Toronto Sun where he was part of their election coverage team, often on the front page of the Sun. He was getting paid by Post Media and by Andrew Scheer. He did it out in the open without disclosing who was paying him, but he also used deception. So... Is it not a story to those of us who are in the job of telling the public what actually happened to know that a guy who wanted to be prime minister used deception and secrecy and enlisted this clown to go after his enemies? And what our reporting on this, uh, Jonathan Goldsby, was able to find out that it wasn't just a campaign against Bernier. Part of the point, according to a source who has uh, close knowledge of this Project Cactus, part of the point of it was to deflect criticism of Andrew Scheer and his conservative candidates, that if all of the focus was on Bernie and his candidates for being racist and all the skeletons in their closet, that would give some cover to Scheer and his candidates. So this is like, I think that telling people how power works, how messaging works, and who is trying to manipulate them in the way that they think and the way that they vote is absolutely newsworthy material. Yeah, to be clear, I'm not arguing against that. I'm not saying that this is, I don't want to be one of those people who's like, well, this isn't news. Like, it is obviously news. This is obviously something that affects the vote. And there was there was definitely deception involved. My, my issue is more that, you know, it's not clear that, that anything was against the law. And then certainly, you know, the, the, the issue about him having a, a column and may or may not disclosing his political clients to, to his employer, that might be an issue. Obviously, I work for Post Media, so I kind of want to stay away from that. But, but yeah, it's definitely a story. I think my, I think my issue is just like, he could have just done this out in the open. He could have just been like, yes. I've been hired by the conservative party. I'm going to say, you know, crap about Max and Bernie. I'm going to expose Max and Bernie. He could have done this all out in the open, and this wouldn't have been a thing. It wouldn't have been a scandal. It wouldn't have been whatever. But he he and and whoever else decided to make this sneaky when it didn't have to be sneaky. I think that's the point I'm trying to make here. Yeah, well, it's, and he's not the only one sneaking. I mean, he's a professional sneaky communicator. The conservatives, the fact that he was doing this secretly was part of what they were paying for. And, um, you know, to continue the yarn, and you bring up why this has developed now and why we're talking about this now, uh, this all came to light, it seems, because of a disgruntled former employee of Warren Kinsella, 
Are they ever gruntled, these former employees? You never hear about gruntled former employees. Uh, Kinsella publicly complained that he has been targeted by an anti-Semitic thief who used to work for him and is now trying to ruin him. You know, what you assume is that anyone who goes to work for a, a hatchet job operation like Daisy Group, you got to sign a pretty stiff NDA, I would imagine. All manner of, of gag orders and secrecy compacts. Don't ever tell anybody or I'm going to come and get you. And now he's coming to get her. He has launched a lawsuit against one Aziza Muhammad, who worked for Daisy up until this past June. He is suing her for $1 million. Uh, he claims, among other things, that she was a bad, underperforming employee who fell asleep on the job, but more pointedly, that she maliciously forwarded confidential files to her personal email account 51 times, and so on. And amidst this conflict between Aziza Muhammad and Warren Kinsella, CBC reporter Callie Rogers gets her hands on this uh, secret recording that Warren Kinsella gave this pep talk to his team for this Project Cactus initiative. And uh, I would like to play some of that for you now. Okay. Everybody else, go and be nasty. Be mean. Get me content. I'm leaving this afternoon. All of you are, are ordered to leave here early tomorrow. Okay. You see somebody stumble on the weekend, your job is to come down from the hills with your gun and shoot them. That's what you do. So I want the hatred you have for Maxine Bernier to wash over you as a purifying force. There's nobody in the country doing what we're doing to Max Bernier. There's nobody else doing it. It's the people in this room. So do it. Let your hatred of Maxine Bernier wash over you as a purifying force. So yeah, perfectly normal stuff to hear uh, from your boss. I take personal offense that there's uh, nobody else in this country. I mean, we, you know, we weren't even getting paid by the conservatives, and we were investing considerable resources into looking through uh, the pasts of um, Maxine Bernier and, and things he said and his messaging and his candidates. Now, Steve. Yes. That's fun to listen to. And I think that, you know, Kinsella, I think, enjoys himself a lot and performs uh, for the press and for his people, obviously. So, you know, it's not like I think that that's such scandalous uh, material in that recording. But there are other parts of that recording which the CBC did not release, but which they did quote. The quote is that Kinsella told his team, I've run campaigns depicting Preston Manning, Stockwell Day, Kim Campbell, depicting them as racists. None of them were, but I was successful at depicting them as racists. This guy, Bernier, actually is a racist, said Kinsella. Okay, so it's low-hanging fruit. I do want to take a second uh, to respond to that quote, because like Kinsella's defense throughout all of this, you know, such as it is, has been that he's not going to apologize for fighting racism. He's fought racism for decades. He's been a champion against racism. When you use racism as a tool to falsely smear people who are not racist because you are paid to take them down... I think you lose your ability to proclaim yourself a warrior against discrimination. And furthermore, he's now taken aim at CBC reporter Callie Rogers, publishing this exchange he had with her where she was essentially saying, hey, how you doing throughout all of this scandal and tumult, inquiring about his well-being. And he's like, look, here she is being nice to me. And then she comes out with her knife and, and does her job as a reporter. Obviously, she was just being nice duplicitously and deceitfully. Uh, I mean, maybe it's not worth the error to poke holes in, in, in Kinsella's defense to this. He's obviously, you know, I think stumbling and wounded and, and you know, I, things are not good over at Daisy Group. I, I think something is wrong. Like, 
I don't mean this in a, in a condescending way or in, in, in a put down or whatever. You know, he, he tweeted, I think that, or, or posted on, on his website that like, oh, the CBC is, is outing that my marriage has failed. Uh, when he disclosed that like months ago on his own website. I think things are just, are just not well, possibly because of that. I think it's a bit awkward for me to like criticize this guy because I think a lot of the mistakes he's making, a lot of the stuff he's doing is like he is maybe not well emotionally or, or he's, he's got bigger problems to deal with. I will say that, you know, on, on the point of, you know, Preston Manning and all and him falsely accusing them of being racist. The CBC did ask him about that. And his response was that, you know, sort of to clarify was that he's not saying that he was, you know, tarring them as racists and that they weren't racist. What he's saying is that, you know, those people ran campaigns that included people, you know, they had candidates who he exposed as racists and that he was saying that they were sort of enabling racists and that that's what he was exposing. And, and I guess he wasn't, he may have misspoke, as they say, in, in the recording. And I think that's weaseling a bit, but I'm I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt on that and say that he was exposing, you know, candidates and, and campaigns that were, were enabling racists and not saying people were racist directly. Whereas with Bernier, he's saying that Bernier himself is actually racist. I'm not sure if that's true. I think Bernier's campaign was run by a lot of people who weren't checking a lot of things by Bernier, but that's that's a discussion for another podcast, maybe. I hear you in in a in a greater sense than I mean this this idea of uh, you know we need to balance what Kinsella said with what Kinsella later said you know contradicting his very explicit earlier comment. Sure, let him provide all the uh, clarification, call it spin, call it context. I think that the bigger lesson here is that like there's a person here who whatever he does, it's sort of been deemed okay to use him as a punching bag. And uh, he's a human being, and obviously there's a personal side to this as well. The fact that he attacks people, the fact that he uses deception to attack people, the fact that he has not necessarily extended that kind of uh, personal consideration to the people who he's paid to take down, and the fact that he manipulates the public for a living are the reasons why I think he has been considered the fairest of fair game. And at a certain point, this all just becomes like... It becomes such easy pickings and it becomes just like uh, an ugly enterprise, the criticism of, of Kinsella. I think the larger thing here beyond just like these embarrassing new recordings is that we still have like Senator Linda Frum saying, you know, what's the problem with all this? Who doesn't do oppo research? And I think that the attempt by the conservatives who are trying to cover their own asses on this and their own role in this is that they're trying to normalize something that maybe maybe it happens all the time. I guess I always assumed that it did, that there were like covert political actors doing stuff like this. It's not opposition research to launch secret attacks. And I understand that that's a part of the way that we do politics in Canada, but I don't accept it. Like, I don't think that we have to say, hey, there's no problem here. There's nothing to talk about here. Um, I think it's like this is a good opportunity for us to have a conversation now that this has been dragged out into the sunlight. Do we want this kind of shit in our political discourse? And we maybe actually have an opportunity here to excoriate it and let parties know that it's really not worth the money or the liability to engage in these kinds of operations. Steve, as a veteran co-host of Canada Land Shortcuts, you are aware that when a news item escapes the wider attention of the Canadian people, this is the place where we correct that wrong and duly note it. What do you have for us? I would like to do duly note something. 
I would like to duly note that I am not being paid to participate in this podcast right now. Now, I'm not arguing this for, for, for my own sake. I have a steady job. I, I you know, make ends meet well. Uh, I don't need the extra money right now. And if you offer me money after the fact, I'm going to say no. But I have been listening to the show. I've been on this show before. I've heard other people on this podcast who are freelancers, in some cases people who are unemployed, and I'm sure could use the extra money. Uh, more importantly, I think they could use a little bit more respect for their work. Like other guests, I was asked to be on here to share my expertise, which I worked hard to build. I was asked to prepare a duly noted, uh, and I'll give you a bonus one after this there, because I don't want to make this all about me. But it, these duly noted, they sound a lot like journalism, like like uncovering something. And in general, I'm asked to provide hashtag content uh, to this podcast, which you're selling ads around and asking people to donate to support. And to be fair to you, I think this is not just an issue with Candleland. I think it's an issue with uh, you know, broadcast media in particular, particularly radio, um, where, you know, instead of hiring your own journalists to go out there and get the news, you bring on newspaper journalists or, or journalists from other media or, or experts from academia. You ask them to tell you what the news is so you can provide content that you don't have to pay for. I'd like to think that, uh, that Candidland is, is, is a bit better than this. So maybe just, you know, some sort of, of modest, uh, 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 even trivial uh, money going out to the people who de facto co-host this podcast with you and show them that their work is appreciated. Mercy. Look at you ambushing me on my own show, hoisting me on my own petard. Steve, we've been paying Shortcuts co-hosts for, I think, the last three years, at least the last two. But I do realize now that... Uh, that we must have neglected to let you know that we uh, we are happy to pay you uh, for the labor, your time, and your effort. And, and we've been doing so with every co-host you have heard on this show for years now. In that case, you can delete uh, so my, everything my... <laughs> that I just said, and I'll give you another one. Just because I'm nice. Nope. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Well, I'll, I'll hear your second duly noted. But we will certainly be using this. You should because... also let people know that, then you know, before they appear in the podcast, they don't say stupid things like that. <laughs> uh, no, I, I, we accept full responsibility. We should have let you know. Uh, we now take it uh, as a given because your participation in the show predates us being able to pay people for co-hosting. Uh, it is entirely our fault and not your own that you didn't know that you're being compensated for this. Yeah. So uh, I'm still so, going to so, turn uh, it down, but yeah, you can, you can turn it down. Hey, you can put it into our Patreon or to the news organization of your choice. But uh, you are uh, very wrong. Duly noted. <laughs> OK. Oh, I enjoyed every moment of that. I would like to to duly note on a more serious note. I've taken an interest, as listeners will remember, in this uh, this tragic accident that happened in Muskoka in cottage country here in Ontario this past summer when uh, Linda O'Leary, uh, the wife of Kevin O'Leary, was uh, reportedly driving a speedboat uh, when it collided with another boat. And uh, Susan Brito, a 48-year-old mother of three, was instantly killed. And uh, another person, an accountant uh, from Florida, Gary Poltash, 64, was critically injured, died in hospital two days later. This was an awful thing, of course. My interest in this was learning of it initially through TMZ and not through the Canadian press, learning details of it that were exposed through TMZ. In the Canadian press, reading much from Kevin O'Leary in his early attempts to, I think it's safe to say, spin the narrative, talking about how the other boat fled the scene of the accident 
Of course, both boats left the scene of the accident as they were supposed to. It's not like a, a, a car crash. And I guess it just felt to me like O'Leary had every opportunity to get his version of this out there before any other processes could give us clarity on this. I bring this up now. What I'm duly noting now is that um, the CBC successfully had search warrant documents unsealed, and they reveal that Linda O'Leary, who reportedly was uh, the person driving the boat, uh, had alcohol on her breath the night of the fatal boat crash. And uh, she has the best in the business. Brian Greenspan is the uh, criminal attorney representing the O'Learys. He says, you know, that she she must have drunk the vodka after the accident, but before there was a breathalyzer, that she was not intoxicated during the, the, the accident. I mean, we have no idea the amount of time that took place. I mean, I still haven't read any independent confirmation that she was the one steering the boat. I mean, some of the early questions were, was it Kevin O'Leary steering? There's just so much that uh, we do not know. And... I bring all this up, Stephen, because I think that we pride ourselves in Canada in uh, not having a tabloid press or some sort of ravenous celebrity press that uh, is just looking for every detail when something happens to celebrities. We think that's a good thing, and most of the time it is a good thing. But we can't pretend that the criminal justice system acts completely independently of public pressure and public knowledge. And should the public get the idea that wealthy and powerful people are being given space to play by a different rule book or not giving the same kind of scrutiny or able to craft their own narrative. And the public is upset about that. Uh, there is a relationship between how law enforcement and the justice system responds to that. And I can't help but wonder with this incident, and it brings prior historic incidents to mind uh, when wealthy and powerful people have been involved in, in terrible things, if we wouldn't benefit in Canada from a little bit more scrutiny on our elite than we have, you know? I mean, I guess I, I feel like a lot of the interest in this story is just because, you know, Kevin O'Leary happened to be present and you could make the argument that we need more tabloids covering the, uh, the, the actions of wives of celebrities. Maybe, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not that broken up over it. Uh, I think it should be covered just like any other, possibly criminal act like anything else in the justice system. There are stories like this just about every day uh, in Canada that, that get covered and quickly forgotten about. I don't think that the fact that Kevin O'Leary is involved should make it more or less uh, of a story than any other incident involving someone rich, unless, of course, something else happens. If there's some other aspect of the story that comes up that is interesting, maybe, but as, at this point, this is this was a boating accident that involved someone who may have been under the influence of alcohol while they were driving. Again, that kind of thing happens all the time. If that's what happened. I mean, we still know so little about this, but um, and we know I mean, we know so little about, all. you know, talk to any crime reporter in Canada. They, they'll tell you it's it's frustrating to not know the details of all these all these cases that come up, because all we know is what we get from police and police will not, you know, tell us a lot of information because they want to save it for. You know, the prosecutors are potentially a, a, you know, a criminal trial. That's the way it happens, unfortunately. And, and maybe we need to reform how our, our justice system works. But that's, uh, it's you know, not that's accurate, actually. All, all we know is not what we know from the police. We know initially from TMZ and credit where it's due. We know from CBC who actually got their hands on the unsealed warrant documents. I hope we know more. I hope we actually find the details about this. I'm not insinuating that something happened that's not hasn't been disclosed yet. I don't know what happened. I'd like to know what happened. 
Duly noted. Steve, you got another one for us? I will give you two duly noted because you know what? I like you. So we were talking earlier about politicians engaging in in secretive behind the scenes tactics to manipulate public opinion. Well, I'm going to give you an example of that here in uh, my lovely province of Quebec. The Quebec Liberal Party is engaged in a leadership race right now. There are two candidates declared, one of whom is the mayor of Drummondville, a white man from the quote unquote regions who, you know, uh, checks those boxes. And the other one is Dominique Anglade, who is a black woman who represents a Montreal riding. And there is this supposed group that has come up uh, of people who are are working under the anybody but Anglade uh, uh, mantra that don't want her to become the leader. And their argument is that we are not racist, but the voters are racist. And if we are led by a black woman from Montreal who is is not originally from here, then they won't vote for her and we won't win the next election. And they have been telling political reporters this under the cover of anonymity. And La Presse and Le Devoir have put out columns and stories saying that this this group exists. No one wants to put their name to it for obvious reasons. And uh, I'll credit Daniel LeBlanc from the Globe and Mail, who is calling them out on this and saying, you are allowing people to to tarnish this 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 black woman and and you know bring up this under the cover of anonymity. No one wants to put their name on it, and you are allowing them to to throw mud under the cover of anonymity, and that's wrong. Journalists asked her about it uh, during a press conference, and then she said that she thinks it's time for you know people are ready to to elect a black woman as leader of the province. And then uh, today in the Journal de Montréal, Denise Bombardier puts out a column accusing her of bringing up the race card. I'm glad wasn't the one who, who brought this up. She didn't say, you know, vote for me because I'm a black woman. She was responding to a reporter's question. And now she's being tarnished again for having addressed something at, at a press conference. So I think, we, you know, political journalists need to understand a little bit better when they're being played and to not play that game. You know, this this may be a real movement that's, that's out there, but don't be the instrument of bringing this out into the public. If people don't want to put their names on it, maybe it shouldn't be public in the first place. You're earning every penny, Steve. <laughs> Duly noted. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, it's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does Help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. 
And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool. It doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. Steve, I love your blog because you have an incredible eye for detail and your blog is where I learned that the CBC will be asking the CRTC, the regulator, for a bunch of new stuff. Can you fill us in on what the CBC is asking for? So the CBC, like all broadcasters, is regulated by the CRTC, and it has applied for a, a renewal of its license that uh, started in 2013 and ends next year. There's a lot of stuff in there because the CBC obviously is a very large broadcaster, has a lot of obligations. But the, the main focus of uh, the back and forth between the CRTC and the CBC, and I think a lot of the coverage, is about a moderate reduction in uh, the, the various Canadian content quotas that the CRTC has, uh, has as part of its license. The CBC argues that it, the point of this is not to produce less Canadian content, uh, but rather it is pushing more of that content toward digital media. So uh, whether it's the CBC Gem or, or Two Point TV uh, streaming service or uh, other online uh, online services, it wants to put more of that content online and have that count toward those quotas. But because the licenses don't cover the online environment, the CRTC does not license that that realm. Only you know regular TV and, and radio. Uh, those quotas have to apply only to those uh, to those traditional media. So the CBC wants to reduce those quotas slightly, and it says put more of that content online. Unfortunately, from the CRTC's perspective, it doesn't regulate that, or they would say they don't license it, but they do regulate it. Um, so they have no way of forcing the CBC to actually invest that money there. So there's a question here about how do you deal with this when, you know, the CBC wants that flexibility, but the CRTC has no no power over that that sort of other half of uh, of the equation, and this is all going to come up on May twenty fifth when the CRTC has in person hearings to discuss the CBC's license. Let me make sure I understand this. The CBC, as I understand it, serves a few different masters in terms of what like the written thing of like here's what you got to do, and the big one is the Broadcasting Act, which is pretty vague and and open to interpretation, and that's the one that says you've got a uh, enlighten, inform, and entertain, and and there's nothing in there about you've got to make like you know 20 seasons of Heartland or nothing in the Broadcasting Act about doing scripted dramas and comedies at all. But they also have to do what the CRTC says, in as much as the CRTC says if you want this spectrum, this bandwidth, this public property, these airwaves, uh, there are very specific things you've got to do. And CRTC gets really in, into the fine grain about you need to do this much news, you need to do this much non-news, you need to do this much scripted stuff, and the CBC has to follow that stuff or they basically lose their licenses. And there's like licenses throughout the country because they're on all kinds of bandwidth and spectrum throughout the country. Is that all accurate so far? 
Uh, yes, both the CRTC and the CBC sort of interpret the Broadcasting Act, and and yeah, the CRTC license imposes more specific requirements on the CBC. Now, you know, okay. we're speaking in practical purposes. If the CBC is not following its license conditions, the CRTC is not going to just pull its license because you're not going to pull the license of the CBC. But in theory, that threat is always there, and there's always that the the threat of you know, more regulatory obligations that you might not be a fan of if you, you know, decide to pick a fight with the CRTC. And that's, you know, not what the CBC wants to do because the CBC is still, you know, answerable to the government. And on the question of, of spectrum, that's, that's a good thing to note is that the CBC is, is less concerned, um, except with radio because radio is still a, a medium that is primarily uh, captured over the air is less concerned with actual spectrum. One thing, it's putting more stuff online. You know, uh, seven years ago, uh, it shut down most of its television transmitters across the country, all these old, low-power mm-hmm. analog TV transmitters in small communities and even medium-sized communities across the country. Now there's only, I think, about 27 stations with CBC and Radio Canada combined across the country and only in, you know, the provincial uh, capitals and, and large cities. So they don't need that spectrum, at least on the TV side, as much anymore as, as, as they used to. So that, you know, that argument is less compelling than it might have been in the 80s or 90s because, you know, CBC television, yeah, it still exists as a conventional television network, but CBC, you know, sees its, its future as more online. Right, with uh, over-the-top services, so over-the-air is less, uh, and, and the CRTC's role, I have to, and their power, I, I have to imagine, as the kind of uh, gatekeepers and licensors of that, regulators of that space, might be diminishing. And CBC seems to have a good point here in saying, look, we are making the stuff you want us to make, but we're making it for GEM, for our internet service, and we want to have the discretion as to whether we put it on TV or put it on GEM. What do you care? We're making the stuff for Canadians anyhow. And CRTC is saying two things, as I understand it, or, or I guess is in the position to say two things when these hearings come up. One would be, what's it to us if you're making it for a digital space? We don't even regulate the content of digital spaces. So that's got nothing to do with your licenses with us, which just feels like red tape bullshit to me. But the thing that is valid is CRTC would also be in a position to say, hey, 11% of Canadians don't have internet. So uh, this actually is a demonstrable decrease in what you're offering Canadians. A big, a big chunk of Canadians aren't going to get all this stuff you're putting on gem. Not to mention the fact that just because you have internet doesn't mean you have gem. Uh, I don't know. Do we have any information about what percentage of Canadians actually use gem? I don't think so. It's still pretty new, so uh, I don't think that kind of uh, that kind of data would be that useful at, at this point. But certainly, yeah, the, you know, the CRTC pointed out that 11% of Canadians don't have any internet access, and then there, on top of that, there's a lot of Canadians who have who might have you know some slow speed internet access or, or mobile internet access with you know strict data plans who don't really have the ability to stream video. So uh, you know, it, it might be a bit larger than that. And when when the CRTC pointed out because there's a you know, there's sort of a back and forth as the CRTC asks applicants to clarify their, their applications. Uh, the CBC said, and I quote here, CBC Radio Canada is not in a position to provide internet access to the 11% of Canadians who can, who either cannot afford or choose not to subscribe to internet access services. And says it's, you know, that's, mm-hmm. that's the CRTC and the government's responsibility. It's not ours. Uh, which I was like, it sounded very much like, oh, well, that's, that's not our problem. And okay, if you want to make that argument, but at the same time, you know, you are arguing that people can just get stuff online. Well, some people can't get stuff online. What are you going to do for that? And they, they don't really have an answer for that. 
Yeah, so you got your 11% who just don't have the access. You've got some, you know, some percentage higher than that who don't have good access. And then I think it's totally valid to point out you got a lot of people who don't want to be locked into one specific platform. And CBC's approach to online is not to just like put their content out any way that Canadians want to get it. They they want you on their platform as if any any other commercial Netflix like streamer. They want your data, they want they want you to use their app, they want the ability to serve you ads if you're not paying for premium freemium stuff. I think all that comes into question as well. I say all this as somebody who, you know, has for years now said they should be getting out of scripted anyhow. But I, I guess I'm concerned about them having to do less explicitly, like this is the kind of programming we want you to do, without that being like, you know, I was always arguing like, let them focus on news, especially local news. But this is like an argument to diminish what they have to do and saying, just trust us, we're going to do it anyhow. Removing, uh, if they get their way, any explicit directive to do this. Uh, and not replacing that with any new requirements. Yeah, I mean, there there are some new requirements. There are some new uh, uh, things that the CBC is proposing, uh, one of which is that it would do a, a biannual consultation process with Indigenous Canadians. It already does this with official language minority communities, so Anglophones in Quebec and, and Francophones in the rest of Canada. Uh, once every two years, you know, gathers them up and asks their their views, their opinions about uh, CBC programming. Um, and it wants to do this, the same thing with, uh, with indigenous Canadians, which I think is, is, is a, is a pretty good idea. And that would also be regional. So go into Atlantic Canada in the West, Ontario, Quebec in the North and do, you know, separate uh, consultations in each of those regions. But yeah, a lot of these are, are, uh, they're not, they're not eliminations of these, of these, um, quotas, but they are, uh, they are reducing them. And so the, the CBC wants to, to reduce that quota a bit, but again, it says it's still going to do that kind of program. It's still going to do scripted programming and children's programming and all that, but that is going to be more online because, you know, kids especially, that's that's where they're getting their content now. They're not tuning into CBC at 6 a.m. on a Saturday. They are going online and getting stuff there. Yeah, I, th- I, I see this all pointing at one direction, which is, you know, part of it is very reasonable, which is the media consumption and media itself is like, it's it's all moving online. But I guess there's a question for Canadians is that what does an online CBC look like and sound like? And with the CRTC not having any explicit oversight over the content of, uh, of online programming, it seems like CBC will, first of all, or is jockeying to be in a position to have much more discretion over what kind of stuff it makes when it's online, and also a lot more discretion over how it monetizes it, um, to the extent I've pointed out many times that CBC Audio is ad-free on Radio 1, and when they put ads on Radio 2, it was a big failure. They have increasingly, their audio offerings online have ads. They've moved from not having hosts read the ads to new hosts reading the ads. And uh, their their video is laden with advertising. So I think we're getting a glimpse of, of what a digital CBC will be like. It'll be, it'll be much more like a commercial broadcaster um, than even their TV offering, which I think has been commercially oriented for a long time now. Yeah, it's, you know, it's an interesting question because A, there's the question of, should the CRTC be regulating uh, the internet? And if you argue that no, they should keep their hands off of it, which they've done for the most part until now, then the question is, well, how do you deal with what the CBC does online? Because the CBC's, in theory, answers to the federal government. But the federal government has said, you know, for very good reasons, that it wants the CBC to be at arm's length. And one of the ways it does that is, is that it makes the CBC not so much report directly to the government, but report to the CRTC. Now, if the CRTC doesn't regulate or, or license the internet or doesn't control what goes on on the internet, who is the CBC answerable to for its internet activities? Should it be, you know, 
the, the House of Commons directly? Should it be a government department? Should it be some other agency? If you say the CRTC shouldn't step in there, who should? That is your Canada Land Shortcuts. You can email me about it at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read everything you send. We are on Twitter at Canada Land. Steve Faggy, where can people find you? You can find my very informative tweets at Fagstein, F-A-G-S-T-E-I-N. Or, or you can uh, read my blog at fagstein.com. That's where, that's where you'll see most of my stuff. Hey, we've got a website too. It's canadalandshow.com. And my God, the episode of Commons Dynasties on the Sahota family in, in British Columbia this week. This is, you have to listen to this. You just have to listen to this. This episode of Canada Land Shortcuts is produced by David Crosby. Our managing editor is Kevin Sexton. Syndication is by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. If you like what we do... This is all you're going to hear me say about it for the next 11 months. If you like what we do, please support us at patreon.com slash CanadaLand. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about CanadaLand and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures, and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support CanadaLand. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a CanadaLand supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's gonna get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.